One parent, two kids, 419 national park sites. This is Expedition National Parks. Dispatches and stories from one family's journey to discover the cultural, historical, and natural treasures of the United States. We are still an active volcano, but in a dormant state. So when you think about volcanoes, think in these terms. Volcanoes are just like you and I, people. They're either awake, they're asleep, or they've passed away, or extinct. at home have given us much needed time to reflect on our past travels. This time in reflection was especially needed for our park visits late last year in Hawaii as there were so many cultural and historical connections, in addition to the scientific ones. Haleakala means House of the Sun in Hawaiian and it is considered sacred to the native people. Because of this, the construction of large observatories in both Haleakala and Mauna Kea on the Big Island have attracted controversy and protests, both while we were there and in the past. Haleakala National Park has three visitor centers, one before the summit, 7,000 feet, another close to the summit, 9,740 feet, and one on the coast, 143 feet. It was at the 7,000-foot visitor center that we first met Ranger Patrick. That was our first stop on the trip to the summit, where we picked up our Junior Ranger booklets. The staff there was very friendly and helpful, offering visitors advice, explaining the Sunrise Reservation System, issuing backcountry permits, giving out maps and brochures, and so much more. From the visitor center, we got back into the car and drove to the summit. As we learned first from the signs, and then firsthand, Haleakala the mountain can create its own weather. Seeing the cows flowing in and out was so beautiful but be sure to be prepared for all temperatures and rain. We weren't as prepared as we should have been and had to use beach towels to keep warm. The National Park extends over a large area. The summit is towards the northwestern edge and the Kipahulu Visitor Center is on the coast at the southern eastern edge. Different roads lead to these two different areas. Kipahulu is nine miles past Hana. The road to Hana is supposed to be one of the most scenic in the entire world. With 40 miles of trail and a wilderness area, there's much to offer to the adventurous hiker. There are three primitive cabins available by advanced reservation in the wilderness area, Palupu, Kapaloa, and Hulua. We had hoped to return this spring and had even managed to book one of the cabins, but we will have to wait for another year. The Haleakala brochure covers many Hawaiian cultural beliefs and traditions. It was created by the Kanaka Mo'oili, native Hawaiians, from Maui to ensure that through generational knowledge, Kanaka Mo'oili natural and cultural resources cared for with the appropriate respect and behavior by all who enter Haleakala National Park. The Junior Ranger program we completed cumbers some of these traditions. One of the most interesting sections was about how the native Hawaiians passed on their traditions. Native Hawaiians, before contact with the Europeans, didn't have a written language. Their keen observation skills allowed for great scientific discoveries and memorizing helped to pass along it to the next generation. Many of the Junior Ranger sections had proverbs. Heading each page in this section was, I ka nana no ike. By observing, one learns. Haleakala has been a big part of the National Park Service for a long time. It was first part of the Hawaii National Park, created in 1916 with Moana Loa and Kilauea on the Big Island. Kipahuluo Valley was added in 1951, and in 1961, Haleakala became a separate park. 
Ranger Patrick was so nice and helpful and gave us so much of his time. We learned so much from him and want to share our conversation with him and all of you. He packed a lot of information in and we have to put additional details on our website, www.expeditionnationalparks.com. In our show notes. What happened when you picked up this book? Awareness, right? You, you began the learning process about Haleakala. And that's the important thing that we want to push here with the Junior Ranger Program. The idea is to allow you, in a fun kind of way, for you to learn about the park, learn about the ecosystem, to learn about the environment around us. Um, the human race is a very, very small picture when you think about the Earth. The Earth, let's pretend for a second, the Earth is a year old. All right, mankind only came along five minutes before midnight on New Year's Eve. So we're very young, young species. Where are you guys from again on the mainland? Where are you from? We've been living in Dubai. So oh, nice. That's why they, they, they were confused yeah. by that. Okay. So, but but my parents live in Santa Barbara, California. So let's take Santa Barbara for example. Um, mainland North America is about one billion years old geologic. Um, term speaking. Uh, Australia, about 3 billion years old. The Hawaiian Islands are only about 1 point, I'm sorry, Maui in the Hawaiian Islands is only about 1.2 to 1.5 million years old. So we're very, very young here, which means that the evolutionary process is alive here. So did you guys see anything today while you were visiting that you found um, spectacular or something you'd never seen before in your lives? The plant? The silver sword. So the Haleakala Ahinahina is a plant that's only found here on this mountain, nowhere else on the island, nowhere else in the Hawaiian Islands. Uh, the plant only grows at 6,500 feet and above elevations, and it only blooms once in its life. What, when, when is there a blooming season, or is it just irregular? Atypically, I've been told between June and October is when the, the, the blooming season would take place on that, but I've never actually fact-checked that as far as... Um, me monitoring the plants, if that makes sense. But did sense. you see a lot in that? Yeah. I did in the past. Um, in fact, we can walk outside and I can show you one that actually looks like it's going to bloom shortly, which is weird because we're now in November. Oh, wow. Um, the plant actually normally has the, the leaves are straight out normally, but when it goes to the bloom, the leaves curl, almost like it's getting ready to present that stalk. Mm -hmm. So it stays in the rosette phase until it's ready to bloom. And then when it blooms, it only blooms over the course of two months. So from the time you first start seeing that stalk until the plant dies off, it's only two months. So it lives its entire life just for that two-month uh, window for it to release its seeds. And is it a gradual bloom, like the two months, or it blooms and it stays it, Some of them come months. up a lot faster than other ones, to be really honest with you. I've seen some that one day I see it, and it's got like a little corn cob-looking thing sticking out of the top of it. And then all of a sudden, the next day, it's three feet tall already. So plants are an amazing thing. I mean, if you think about this particular plant, they believe it came from a tarweed in California millions of years ago, and it evolved into this type of plant. Wow. And each plant's actually capable of carrying roughly 70,000 70, seeds, is what I read. Um, and people often ask, well, why is it endangered if it can carry 70,000 seeds per plant? Well, if you look around, this, this terrain, this environment is not exactly ideal for growing. I mean, look at California. They have a lot of the fires and it dries the soil out. It's very difficult for anybody farming in that area to get the soil to come back to life because yeah. they need certain nutrients within it for, to feed the plant, right? Kind of, yeah. So what else did you guys learn today? You guys saw on the first page, I believe, of your required activities, um, it wants to know what Kokua Malama Aina means um, in this section right here. So Kokua Malama Aina, and it helps you translate it right here. To care for the land. So in your words, not what it says in this book, but in your words, why is it important that we take care of the land? Because otherwise it'll 
like be all bad and it'll land in the end. Absolutely. So if we don't take care of the planet we live on where the, the forest exists and the birds and all the different wildlife exists, then the circle of life is broken, correct? And you and I, even though we might not believe it, we depend on the plants and animals here on Earth. Um, what do the plants give us? What are we breathing? Air. Oxygen, right. Oxygenated air. And the animals need the plants to feed off of that as well. So unless you're a vegetarian, you consume some sort of meat product in one form or another. So again, it's just this homeostasis or equilibrium um, that exists. So we try not to upset the balance of things because... What happens if a bird species that primarily eats a certain kind of berry dies? Let's say it goes extinct. Let's say there's one bird in the world that eats a certain kind of berry, and that bird dies. Well, then the berries will be grow so much. You won't have as many trees with the berries on it, right? Because you don't have the birds eating it and passing the seeds and things like that. So again, the circle of life, if you will. So in your drawing here, I see you've got the lovely mountain, you've got the silver sword, you've got the nene I imagine depicted there, and you've got the sunrise, which is a popular event here at Haleakala. Excellent photo. And I agree with you. Much like my arrowhead, the arrowhead in your book is meant to present something that's important for us to take care of. And all of the things that you've shown me there are definitely important for us to take care of. And what did you have, sir? Mm-hmm. Got the trees. Mountaintop right there. That's the name. So you guys, are, you're on the same page. You guys, are, not all of us are artists, my friend. Not all of us are artists. Believe me. Your name is very fat. Yours is better than mine, Karen. Some nene are going to eat more than the other one. We are actually in the erosional stage now. If we have lava flowing here again, it was erosioning and going smaller. Correct. So if we have lava come back, because they do believe we will have lava flowing here in Maui again at some point. We are still an active volcano, but in a dormant state. So when you think about volcanoes, think in these terms. Volcanoes are just like you and I, people. Mm -hmm. They're either awake, they're asleep, or they've passed away or extinct. Passed away? Well, I didn't know how to eloquently deliver that message to you, so I figured passed away would be a way to present it, but okay. maybe I was wrong on that note. But, like, there's no lava inside of it? Well, there's magma chambers, they're called, and they're down below the Earth's surface. There's no thermal readings of lava within the Haleakala crater um, currently. So think about this. I have to get the big map out to show you something real quick. But, so when it passes away, there's no lava left in it? Correct. So... The Hawaiian Islands all form from the same hot spot in the ocean. At the bottom of the ocean, there's a hole in the crust or the mantle. So you notice, what's the difference between the one on the far right and the far left? Um, the bigger? One's way bigger, the one on the far, on my far, my far left, your far right. So that is the big island of Hawaii. Now right here is something called Loihi Seamount. That is where the hot spot's at. Now the hot spot is that hole in the bottom of the ocean that pushes out lava and magma. Now for lava to come back to Maui, it has to travel from the hot spot all the way back over here, like 170 miles. The latest eruption we had was down here in Kilauea, right? Really close. If I took a garden hose right now and the spigot or the fixtures right there, and I spray you with the water hose, is that water pressure going to be higher or lower than if I take a garden hose and I run it down the hallway and back up over 200 feet? Which one's going to have the higher water pressure, the, short, the shorter hose, right? Because it has less distance to go. Same thing with the lava. The lava has to travel through lava tubes to make their way back over. Under the ocean. Absolutely, under the ocean. In fact, 
If you look between the island of Hawaii and Maui right there, you see some dark striations in the ocean. They believe those are vacated lava tubes from when we did have lava flowing here because they had to have fine. They call it a method of transportation for the lava to make its way here. So every, all of Hawaii is coming from that. Absolutely. The Pacific plate drifts northwest at a rate of about four inches a year. Now that doesn't sound like much, but what if I tell you it drifts a meter or three feet every 10 years? That's how far the, the islands are actually moving, right? Yeah. So, with that being said, that new island that's being formed, Lo'ihi, it has the possibility to become another one of the Hawaiian islands if it breaches the surface of the ocean. But it all depends on how much pressure is coming out of the bottom of the ocean. It truly is an amazing place to work. And one thing that Kieran and I were discussing was it's a crater, quote unquote. It's it's a Kieran kept correcting me. It's a valley, not a crater. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. Actually, I like to tell my lovely guests that it's an erosional depression filled with post erosion volcanic events. I was a crater. I thought there was like a meteorite that came in. Well, that no, York. That's correct as well. So that can also create a crater. So what does it take to be a crater? It has to be a. Go ahead, Kieran. Has to be like, and if they like put like a, a sphere into the yes, ground, they'll smash it in. And it has to have, uh, all the way around, it has to have the ring around it. Here, if you look at our valley, we've got the Kaupo Gap, a very distinct gap there, and we have the Koalau Gap right there. So we have two big openings. Each one of these cinder cones has its own individual crater, though. So it's an erosional depression. It's a, the, the valley itself, at one time we were 15,000 feet tall, but our rocks are very porous and fragile, so we fell apart, and then wind and rain came in and kind of angled the valley down, and then we had lava flow back. So imagine right now the earth shakes, all right? So suddenly we have an earthquake going on, which is a precursor for volcanic activities. It means magma and rocks are shifting underneath the earth's surface. Now then the earth will open up, and when the earth opens up, gases and things come out, followed by magma. Now magma is about 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit as far as the temperature goes. Now you guys are too young to know this, but if you take a glass dish out of the fridge or freezer and you put it in a hot oven, that glass dish will often explode or crumble apart. The same thing happens with magma. Something very hot meets something very cold. There's a physical reaction. So as the lava's coming out of the ground and touching the air, it crumbles into little pieces of cinder. It keeps doing this until it builds up into a cinder cone. That's where we get the name cinder cone. Little pieces of cinder falling off of it. So on this activity, this is actually my favorite activity because I got something wrong on the when I first started. I didn't, I didn't do these two because I didn't. And I, we're going to talk about that a little bit. So this is actually what I got wrong when I first started here. I said the tree snail floated over on a piece of driftwood in the ocean, but I was incorrect. Scientists believe if a snail were to be exposed to salt water or salt water vapors, it would actually dry that snail out and it would never make the journey over here. So... It, the history of Hawaii, because we've only, we're, again, we're very young. Hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of different species tried to make their way to Hawaii, but usually there would only be about one or two every thousand years of successful colonizers to make eater. So the belief on the snail is that a bird landed in a tree and the snail is really sticky or adhesive. It's yeah, stuck it's to the bird. To the bird. Oh, Over a 2,000 mile journey it had to make oh across God. the ocean to survive. It's a little too heavy to blow over by the wind. What about so, the butterfly? 
Now the butterfly, it's a tricky one too because are butterflies wings strong like a bird where it can fly against the wind? No. no. The wind would have taken that and blown it in whatever direction. And then when it got close enough, then it would have flown over to the island so it could land. Now, have you guys ever seen a show called Charlotte's Web? Yes. All right, Charlotte's Web. What happens at the end of Charlotte's Web? What do all the babies do? And you remember, it was a long time ago for me, but I still remember this part of it. All the babies, when they jumped and they wanted to go down, they made little parachutes off their webs. So they believed the happy face spider made a parachute, if you will, and it floated all the way over here with the help of the wind. Oh, I thought it made a... Okay. Men on the water Haha, I was right again. You just guessed. No, I thought that it was on the wind. No, but this, this piece, you didn't do that. Now, the belief is of researchers that the fern and the shrub seeds would have been eaten by a bird, and then the bird would have passed it through their bodies. It's fine. No, unfortunately, scientists believe. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm saying this is what science believes. But if you think about it, it makes sense because we just talked about it. If a bird that always eats a certain kind of berry dies, and then you won't have as many berry trees, right? Same thing because the birds eat the seeds and they pass them. I remember in second grade, there was this tree. I know what tree it was, but it was found only in Hawaii. Would it be the Ohia? Thank you. No, so but then they weren't like the ship ones, and they got stranded on this island off like the coast of Africa. Uh huh. And the same tree is there. Is it koa? I'm gonna have to research this now. You got me stumped. Did you just stump the ranger? You stumped me right there. I didn't know. I don't remember. Okay. So we believe that the seeds came over by the birds, and then we can infer that the owl used its wings, right, and flew over. But 2,000 then, miles? Doesn't it have to, like, rest or something? You would think so. And think about the journey you guys made over here, because you guys came a long ways away. Even if you're only coming from California, you're coming from, what, it's roughly five and a half hours of a flight time or something like that, and you're flying at roughly 550 miles an hour at 36,000 feet. How fast do you think a bird flies on average? About 30 miles an hour, something like that. So it takes them much longer to get over here than us, right? So the journey of these eight different species making it here is very, very impressive. How they overcame that. Because I know what last time I was on a plane, I ate something. I drank something. I watched a movie and things like that. None of these species had the advantage of any of those amenities. So why is wilderness important to tooth plants and animals? On the big island, I have forest. Yeah, I mean, for their food source and things, right? Well, because they can't have like humans coming in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they need like an habitat. Most definitely. So they need a food source. They need some place to live, and they need some place to exist, just like you and I do. I've had a house. You've got a house. We all have a place where we live, and we're able to eat and things like that. So wilderness is definitely important. That an unimpeded environment, they call it, something left alone, and that's why our area here, a designated wilderness area, you won't find anybody riding a motorcycle down there or their bicycle down there or driving a car down there, because as of 1964, the Wilderness Act. Um, it's a restricted thing. You're not allowed to do that. We want to let nature carry on in its own mannerism without us having an impact on it. Because unfortunately, mankind, we make changes sometimes that are not good for the environment. So why do you think wilderness is important to people? How did it make you feel today coming here to visit us? It was nice. It was nice, right? So it's good for your mental health, for one, for your spirituality. Um, for me personally, it, it's the most relaxing thing possible. It's just to be here and exist, and it takes all my stress away. Why do you think wilderness is important to you personally? 
Because without wilderness, then we wouldn't be able to survive. That's true. So did you see on the news, I'm not sure if you watched the news or not, you're awfully young, um, but they were worried when they had the big fire down in the Amazon and things like that too. Because again, plants give us oxygen, right? And mm -hmm. all these different species that live in certain localities of the world. Once something goes extinct, we can never get it back, right? Um, <clears throat> so that's one of the big things that I think people overlook on a day-to-day -day basis. What are we looking? So let's take a look at this the one. Dancing thing. Oh, I oh, forgot to check it. Initial. I forgot to initial. Oh, I'm sorry. Think of ways you can help yourself memorize things without writing them down. Doing them over and over again. Absolutely. Re repetition leads to it. It's no different than like, I know when I study for tests and things like that, I'll read a chapter in a book over and over and over again, or I'll do math problems over and over and over again so I can remember them. Memorization was one way pre-European context Hawaiians remembered their great scientific discoveries and passed them on to others. What are some other ways? How could their discoveries still be recorded and passed on? Hint, the pictures will give you some ideas. Through songs and dances and other types of traditions. Absolutely. So they still have these things they call luau's. And at traditional luau's, they still show uh, original Polynesian and Tahitian dances and things like that. So um, dancing is another language. It speaks, right? And so if you don't write something down, a word or something like that, you have to think about even modern day sign language. You have certain signals that mean certain things. So that's how they would do it. And it wasn't until about 1826 that the Hawaiian language was written down on paper. So just, what, a little over 150 years ago, I guess it would have been. So that's not, that's not very long ago in the big picture of things. Imagine you have no written language. Think of some things that you experience today. Now think of a way, perhaps, a song or poem to remember your experience of Hayakala. A dance of what we did today. Yeah, absolutely. That could be something for you to work on. And then you start doing the dance. She did it already. And mom's like, she's thinking of Hayakala. That's excellent. Take a look. You get a share with me? Oh, I didn't do those two Oh, you're fine. So typically, typically we would have a pahaku um, over here in this area that's under construction. Essentially, they would use this tool. It's made of rock or stone, and they would mash down taro. Now, if you guys had poi since you've been on the island, I'm not a big fan of it myself. I poi was a type of fish, and they would mash the fish. Because then I know there was the taro thing. No, right? yeah, taro farms were very, very big here in Hawaii for a long, long time. Even down in the Wailuku town was predominantly known as a taro. Um, oh, wait, I did select taro. Yeah, you, you got it correct. And mm -hmm. you got the fishing right there as well. The hollow leaves, you got the drum. Wait, what? I thought a gourd was like... I, no, I, Gord, it looks like a big pumpkin. But it looks like we've all lined up on our answers, though. It looks correct. You guys must have got, must have agreed with each other earlier before you got here. You put, you want to be education because then I can talk to people more and not have to do stuff like building. So the education one is fun because you get to talk to people about things that you have knowledge of that they do not. And it's always good to spread the knowledge. So if the original profile of the mountain was this tall at one time and now we're down to 10,000 feet again. What happened to the rest of the mountain? What what made it come down? Wind and water. Absolutely, and the erosional process. Hmm. Erosion is not a thing. It's like what happens with wind and water. It's a process. Um, it takes those two elements but to come together. Cause erosion. So why do you think why do you think a mountain at fifteen thousand feet? Why do you think a mountain at fifteen thousand feet would be impacted by erosion more than something, let's because say, down at sea level? There's lots of wind up here. And it's cold. It's really cold. It's really cold, and our oh, yeah, rocks it breaks apart. Yes, because you add water or moisture to a crack in a rock, and then you freeze it. It pushes the rocks apart. So the process is expedited. 
Have you guys taken the Junior Ranger Pledge at any other parks before? Yes. Excellent. I love to hear that. So what we're going to do now is you're going to raise your right hand. Oh, I did mine too, but you don't have to change No, absolutely. I already, I was learning. And then raise your right hand. I promise. I promise. To help keep. To help keep. Haleakala. Wild and beautiful. Wild and beautiful. To respect. To respect. The plants and animals. The plants and animals. To tell my friends and family. Family. What I've learned. What I've learned. To learn about. To learn about. Native species. Near my home. Near my home. To get involved. To get involved. In other junior ranger programs. In other junior ranger programs. Excellent job. Thank you so much, junior rangers. Junior rangers. You should like, get, you a get a bell. You get a bell. No, you don't get one. No, I, I did it in my. So in my we've head. actually switched over from the plastic to Ooh, the wooden I love, edges. I love these. It ones. features the apapane bird, a bird that's only found here in Hawaii, nowhere else in the world. Oh, it's not the nene. No, it's not the nene. Even though the nene is. But that's is the are... silver sword in front of it. Yeah, it would be. Wow. So this is the bird. That, that's its beak. So if you look up here back there, it says the apa apapane. Oh, it's a teeny one. Thank you. Oh, it's that red one. Mm -hmm. So how many junior rangers do you think you come through a day? On a daily basis, we can have up to 100 that are, you know get sworn in. Wow. We can also have as little as five. Um, so we're not exactly conveniently located in the world. We're not as remote as, let's say, dry tortugas or something like that. Anymore. We're going to dry tortugas in January. Yeah, it's a little more difficult. Or America, Samoa, you know, and these different places in the world. And the thing is, you know... Um, Life isn't always easy, but it's always worth it. When it you know, at the end of the day. So visiting somebody, I, I really need to get up to Alaska myself personally. Yeah. I've got some friends that work for the park service up there, and I'd really like to partake in the programs up there. So I'm looking into that as one of my. Uh, <clears throat> yes, I believe so. Well, thank you guys for getting involved. Thank you involved. so much. Thank you for joining us today on our journey to Haleakala National Park. Only 415 parks to go. We add new episodes every first and third Wednesday of the month and would love your feedback via our website or on expeditionnationalparks at gmail.com. Finally, many thanks to Jason Shaw for the music.